can I just say that uh, I'm thankful for that song. I'm thankful for the psalm that it's based off, Psalm 23. And can I just say for a moment that how we respond to the Lord is so important. And, and it's personal. It's, it's, you know, whatever the Lord leads you to. But a true response is needed. Every time we come in here, this, uh, this place, this building, we are called to respond to the God who is our shepherd, who leads us and guides us. We don't have to fear. He leads us through the darkest valleys. We don't have to fear, but we must respond. We must. We must. And I hope and pray that a song like that can move you to respond to the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about today is how do we respond? How do we respond? We're in the series, uh, Book of Revelation, and we've, we've spent a lot of time in it, and we're, we've got more time to spend, but we uh, will finish it this year. We're in the book of Revelation chapter 16, and as we discussed last week, and just to catch you up, if, if you weren't here or didn't have a chance to watch that online is uh, we, we're looking at chapter 16 which probably is the hardest passage in uh, uh, all of the book of Revelation because it's talking about God pouring out his wrath upon the world through seven bold judgments and uh, you know perhaps the worst Mother's Day sermon ever preached right because Last week, we jumped back into that on Mother's Day. Um, just because it's not what's typical is um, to, to discuss and to think about God's judgment. But remember what I said. We don't need to fear because the Lord is our shepherd. And oftentimes, we read passages of Scripture Devoid of the context around it, and, and even more so devoid of the context in the whole Bible that teaches us this, this, this truth and this tension. And we talked about it last week. The tension that is held throughout all of this is that, yes, God is righteous and just and a just judge for our lives and for the lives of this world and and one day his judgment will be enacted to the full and final completeness that revelation talks about but that is meant to be maintained in the tension of the fact that jesus christ came and died to provide you and i a way out of the judgment the coming judgment oftentimes uh charles spurgeon is quoted in how he would preach a passage of scripture and that he would preach the passage and then he would make a beeline for the cross he would run to the cross as quickly as he can because it's important that we do realize and discuss and understand that the judgment of God will come and it is righteous and just and 
and perfect even, even though we don't like to think about it, we don't like to talk about it, we don't like to really dive into that at all, but at the same time, Christ is still Savior. Christ is still crucified so that anyone who believes on him might be saved and have eternal life in him. And we hold that, those truths in tension. We continue today, we're still talking about judgment. And the thing I want to focus on is how do we respond in light of God's judgment? And what we see in this passage is we see two ways to respond, two responses for that. In these bold judgments, we're, it's, it's really kind of like we are looking at what has already been said in Revelation. So some scholars will debate on whether or not the, the scrolls uh, being opened, the, uh, the seals being opened, the trumpets, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls uh, of, of God's judgment, God's wrath, are, are they the same seven things looked at from different angles, or are they three sets of seven things? And our goal is, has never been to debate those things uh, in our study of it, because th that's been debated and continue, will continue to be debated. Nonetheless, the way we tackle this and understand it is that regardless of whether it's three sets of different, seven different things, or it's the same thing, three different angles, we certainly understand and realize this is kind of all of that amped up. It's these seven things kind of to the full, but at the same time, we, one of the things we didn't discuss is how much each of these bowls mimic something we were already familiar with, something we studied in, uh, uh, in our Sunday school classes uh, as little children, and that was the plagues, the ten plagues of Egypt. In each of these seven, uh, whether you look at the seals or the trumpets or the bowls, but particularly at the bowls as it's amped up to the fullest, we see this parallel, this correspondence between what happened in Egypt in those days uh, and as uh, God was releasing the Israelites out of the bondage of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And we see similarities. We see water turned to blood we talked about last week. We see uh, uh, frogs and other uh, various uh, animals and, and, and all this kind of stuff wrapped up into it. And so you see again in these seven, these plagues being enacted upon the world once and for all. And these bowls mimic the plagues of Egypt. And if you'll remember, the plagues of, of God enacted upon Egypt caused a response in Pharaoh. It caused him to respond in a certain way. And you, you would have thought it would have been, oh yes, uh, you know, Quit putting these burdens upon me and my people, and so you may allow your people to go, right? Because Moses would come and famously say, let my people go, and Pharaoh would say no, and then God would say, well, this is what I'm going to do, and Moses would tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh would say, forget about it, and then all of a sudden those things would happen, and Pharaoh would consider it, and then he would change his mind. And the Bible says that he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart toward God with each of the passing judgments upon him. So Pharaoh's response was to be hardened and the people under his rule to be hardened. They caused these judgments, caused this type of response. 
But at the same time, they liberated a people found in exile. These judgments allowed for the people of Israel to be liberated. Now, last week we talked about the inevitability of judgment, uh, particularly the judgment of God because of the rebellion of those who follow the ways of the dragon and his beast, as we have seen in chapters 12, 13, and other places as well. Today, we will look at the two responses in this passage to God's judgment. And I think we are at the point of our lives where we have to draw a line. A a line is drawn in the sand, and we must determine our response. Would you read with me Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse 8 and going through Verse 16, the sixth, um, verse 8. The fourth poured out its bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire, and people were scorched by the intense heat, so they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over the plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet, For they are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole earth to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. And then almost as an aside, we see verse 15. Look, in my Bible it's written in red, indicating that it's the words of Jesus. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed, so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we see in this passage and what we will examine today are the two responses to God's judgment. And by examining that, my prayer, my prayer is that we will examine our own hearts to see what our response is and will be. We examine our own hearts to see what needs to be done in our own lives. The first response, as you see in verse 8 and following, the first response is that some will blaspheme God's name and will not repent. So, there are two ways to respond to God's judgment. One, we see is that people like Pharaoh, like Pharaoh in his heart being hardened, will not turn from their ways upon the judgment of God, but will amp up their blasphemy and lack of repentance. So like Pharaoh, when the people encounter the fourth bowl, which is intense heat, they don't acknowledge God's power, but rather 
curse him or vilify him. Literally, the word blaspheme means to vilify, to vilify. We, we may have heard the blas- word blaspheme is not a word we have in our vernacular in, in very much as any more particularly, but that word to blaspheme God or to blaspheme anyone means to vilify him. Not just to, you know, he, uh, treat him flippantly or just not care about him, but to, what I see in my own mind when I think about this word is like wagging our fist at God and saying, How dare you? How dare you, God? Who do you think you are? But and to go far worse and, and to, to, to be quite vile in our response to God. And that's what these people did when the judgment of God, like you would think, like happened in Egypt, when, when God poured out his judgment on, on Egypt and Pharaoh and all the people that they would realize this God is far more powerful than we are and far more powerful than the quote-unquote gods that we worship. Why don't we, instead of disobeying him and running after our own ways, why don't we just bend our knee and turn to him and respond to him in repentance and say, God, you're too powerful. We must just allow you to rule and reign in our lives. But that's not what they do, and that's not what happens here. they shake their fist in the face of God and say how dare you how dare you and they refused to repent and turn from their ways what I think we might miss in this passage if we're not careful is grace and mercy in this moment. Think just to even indicate that there was an opportunity to repent. Think about that. If they didn't repent, that means they failed to do something that was an opportunity in that moment for them to do. If they failed to repent and rather vilify the name of God and blasphemed his name, they had the option. Logic would would prove they have the option to repent. And they did not. For there to be in this moment even an option to repent shows us that God is still long-suffering. Long-suffering. Kind and compassionate. Willing to give yet another chance and they don't receive it they don't repent they don't just stop they just don't not stop doing what they're doing but they turn to God and say forget you who cares about you why should we even care and they vilify his name the sixth bowl enacted around upon those caught up in the kingdom of this world and its ruler Uh, or the fifth one, I'm sorry, the fifth bowl was poured out on the throne of the beast. It was poured out on the throne of the beast and those who were intimately worshiping at its foot. Those who had gone headlong into worshiping the beast and serving him instead of God. 
this fifth bowl is poured out on the impotent throne of the dragon and the beast and those who are intimately involved in demon worship at its foot. And what do they do? They turn to God again and shake their fist in his face. They do not, they do not repent, but they wag their fist in the face of God and vilify him again. The sixth bowl dries up the Euphrates River. Now, this goes... Normally, I, I, the way I began this series and what I tried to avoid because I'm, you know, I'm not Jesus and even Jesus when he was here on earth in Matthew chapter 24 said he didn't know the time of any of this. And you see later on this passage, Jesus says, look, I'm coming like a thief in the night, right? So our, I don't think our goal is to determine whether or not little things that are happening in our world shows us the imminence of Christ's return or not. That's not the point of studying Revelation. I think the point of studying Revelation is to, to see and behold and look upon the face of Jesus. But if you've read the news or watched the news or consumed the news however you do, you, you would have been living in a box if you didn't realize at this point in time the actual Euphrates River is drying up which obviously causes many to speculate and wonder and do exactly what I said I've tried not to do, all right? So today, because that is something that's literally happening in our world, I, I want to try to think through this a little bit. But this is not my goal and what I'm, the whole point of what I'm trying to do in this series, but it goes without saying that if the Euphrates River is drying up, shouldn't we talk about it? So I'm Let's do that. Now, some believe that this is the drying up of the Euphrates River in, in chapter 16 is, uh, is symbolic. Most things in the book of Revelation are symbolic, so it goes to think that many of the things are. Now, again, my goal is not to tell you one way or the other. Um, I really don't know. And I hope that's okay because I'm infallible. I'm not God. I don't there's a lot of stuff I don't know, okay? We can all speculate. But some believe that it's a drying up of trade and, and, and causing havoc and issuing you know, all kind of havoc in this general area, not just in this one specific place. It's akin to what happened in the book of uh, Exodus in, in, as the, the people of Egypt are being uh, freed out of the hands of Pharaoh and you know, God sends blood into the Nile and it causes a lot of trouble economically and uh, people's water source was suddenly uh, uh, dried up. And even during Cyrus's reign, the Euphrates River was rerouted for the same kind of reason. And now in our day, right now, it, it, the Euphrates is drying up. It's just, you, you have to realize that and understand it. And it's causing a water crisis in that part of the world. Now, some will state it's a direct fulfilling of this book, and that means that the, the return of Christ is even more imminent 
And <laughs> the fact of the matter is the end is imminent. Like, we don't have to prove that, right? We don't have to look into our world and realize that, you know, Jesus is coming back, and it's probably sooner than later. So our goal is not to get wrapped up in all these things. But I do know that there's quite a bit more to accomplish before the time is fully now. We've talked about that, that every tribe, nation, and tongue will be representative in the throngs of heaven. And currently there are 3,000 unreached people groups, 7,000 total, 3,000 that we don't have anybody at all that their language would be represented in heaven. So there's a lot of work to do before the time is fully nigh. Now some will ask, is this the judgment of God? Is the Euphrates River drying up the judgment of God? I think that's a very good question. I think it's one that we should ask. And I think that's one we can definitively answer. Yeah, it probably is. Now is it this sixth bowl judgment? I don't know. But I do think that we can say it most likely is the judgment of God I don't think it's the sixth bowl judgment because where's the judgment just before with the scorching heat right I mean so you 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 have to kind of ask those questions at the end of the day I think what we can say is that it's a warning or perhaps a wake-up call for us and it elicits something out of us we can't just look at that and say well that stinks for them no we have to kind of say no this is a judgment of biblical proportions literally and so it means that you and I must have a response to it we must respond it's a warning or a wake-up call and you and I ought to wake up you and I ought to be awoken to realize Judgment is nigh. There will be people who will chew off their tongues, as this passage says, because the pain that they will endure because they are headlong running into the arms of Satan and his devices rather than turning and running to Christ instead. There will be people that you and I love and cherish and care for deeply who will if they do not turn to Christ who will experience the judgment of God and that should awaken us to realize there's work to be done there's things that we must do and how will we respond will we too wave our fists at God how dare you God why would you do this God why you know uh, do we blaspheme his name or will we bend our knee And that's the second response that we see in this passage. And that is that some will realize God's truth and remain alert. Notice what happens following the sixth bowl. The second beast, here called the false prophet, because he's trying to get the people of earth to worship the first beast. The beast from the sea. This is the be- the second beast is the beast from the earth. Chapters uh, twelve and thirteen helped us to see these things. And in this moment, three demons pr- pr- proceed out of these three entities' mouths. 
And these three demons will perform signs trying to persuade the earth to mount up in war against God and his followers. And what I love that Jesus does time and time and time again in the midst of intense judgment and intense warnings and intense moments in these visions that John saw and Jesus used to communicate to the churches of the day, Jesus takes a moment parenthetically to pause and just say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This is what your response ought to be to all this. He says, look, I'm coming like a thief. You don't know when I'm coming is basically what he's saying. You don't know when I will finally finish this. But what he says is, blessed is the one who remains alert and remains clothed. Blessed is the one who looks to me and who is not surprised who stays alert and realizes that what's happening in the world is a sign of the things to come, that the ones trying to get people to worship uh, Satan and his ways and the world and all their ways rather than God is not, it's a ploy that you and I will remain alert, realize that we need to look to Jesus and all those other things will fade away. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it'll be okay because I'm coming. It's going to be like a thief. You'll be surprised. But you must remain alert. Look to me and stay alert. Look to me and stay alert. This is the second response. This is the response that you and I must have when we realize that judgment is impending. We must realize that Jesus is still the one that we need to look to. Jesus is the one that we need to focus on and we need to stay alert. And I pray your response to judgment is that you would look to Jesus and stay vigilant against the schemes of this world. It's what happened to the Israelites in, in Egyptian exile. They had waited over 400 years, and all of a sudden, Moses says, God is going to deliver them. And they're like, who are you? You know, why, why do you get to say this? Don't you think they gained in those moments some confidence as God enacted each and every one of the judgments upon the one who held them captive? Don't you think that with every passing moment during the time of the plagues that they thought, maybe this is it. Maybe we'll find our freedom. Maybe we'll find our deliverance. Maybe this will be the one that Pharaoh says, yes, you can let the people go. Don't you think that their confidence in Jesus and well, in God and in Moses and in God and Moses is God and their God, don't you think their confidence in him grew as he enacted his righteous and right judgments against Pharaoh? Jesus through John is telling the churches in that day and he's telling you and I in our day, the churches in that day faced intense persecution. You and I need to find confidence as well in Christ. And what he's saying to us is to be alert. The world will try and trick you. Look to me. Look to me. Paul says it in a different way in Ephesians chapter 6. Basically the same thing. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, Paul says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord 
and by his vast strength put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. My prayer is that today our response would be to look to Christ, to be strengthened by his vast strength, to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of our enemy. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us. Help us not to respond as Pharaoh did or as one day the people talked about in this passage will respond. But rather that we would respond as Jesus told us to. To look and pay attention because you will come. We don't know the hour. We don't know the time. We don't know when you will come. But we do know that you will. And that as Paul told us as well, that we can be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Looking to you. And that we can put on the armor that helps us to stand against the ways of this world. Help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this song today, my prayer is that God will help you to respond. You can stand, and we're going to sing. And as we sing, I pray that you would just take a moment to examine your own heart. Are you... Like the people in Revelation chapter 16 who when God, when they look to God, all they see is what they should curse him about. Do you wave your fist at him and say, forget you, who cares about you? Or do you respond and say, I look to Jesus and find my strength in him. My prayer is that you and I would bow our knee to Christ because he is worthy. If God is working in your life in any way, I'd love to share with you. love to pray with you. If he's leading you to be a part of this church, I'd encourage you to come and be a part. We'd love for you to be a part and connect and get plugged in. However the Lord is moving in your heart, would you listen and follow as we sing?